Hello, fellow Rebel Capitals. Hope you're well. I am in Dallas, Texas, and I'm here with my good buddy, Jeff Snyder. I wasn't going to do a video today, but Jeff called me this morning. He says, you will not believe what's going on with the two-year and the 10-year spread right now, the, the inversion of the yield curve. Uh, this is really, really big news because, as you guys know from watching my videos, uh, it's not just about the curve being inverted. Uh, what really matters is when the curve uninverts. That's usually when the, the stuff hits the fan, if you will. And uh, what we've seen going back to 1950, if it's not just the uninversion, it's due to a bull steepener. And uh, for those people that watch my videos, you know that I will readily admit that I, I may be wrong about a recession or that more uh, specifically the yield curve would be wrong about a recession if we get an uninversion due to a bear steepener. Yeah. But why today is so important is we're seeing the opposite. We're seeing that bull steepener in full effect. So, Jeff, I'll, I'll give it to you, buddy. What's going on? What's the big news today? What's what's the price action and the two-year Treasury yield telling you? Yeah, the front end is the one, the part of the curve that's actually making noise. It's exactly what you're saying, George. It's the part we've been waiting for to confirm. We aren't quite there yet, but it's it's making noises. It's moving in the direction of the bull steepener case. As you said, that's... That's the one we don't want to see. You only right. need to go back a couple months to October when it seemed like the curve was actually going to go in the other direction and uninvert for the first time in a bear steepening case, which, I mean, there was all sorts of signals and signs that that wasn't really happening. And of course, that's what's important about the market action now over the last couple of months is that we flipped right around and went into the bear, the bull steepening case like it was nothing. And now with the two-year closing in on the 10-year, the last couple of days making a pretty big move. Um, Huge and it's not just the two-year either. It's the the entire front end of the curve. It's the six-month bill. It's a 52-week bill. The, the, uh, you know, the front end is making more noise now than the, the back end of the curve, which is consistent with moving into that bull steepener case. Yeah, when I wanted to show people, can you see this chart of the 10-year, two-year spread? Yep. Josh, can we see that? So what's interesting is when you look at this almost uninversion that we had back in October, uh, it would look like it's doing the exact same thing today. But in reality, this uninversion is way, way, way different. Or this disinversion. Complete opposite. Exactly. And that's what I want people to really, really understand is you can't just look at the, the spread. You've look at, you have to look at how it's disinverting, if that's a, even a word. And then when it does uninvert, then how has it done that? Has it done it by the front end just collapsing while, mind you, the long end is collapsing too, but just at a slower rate? Or is it doing it by the long end just going up and up and up and up, which would tell us that the yield curve was probably wrong and that we should expect a no landing type of, of scenario. That's really the key point, George, is that you, there's really three factors you want to look you want to look at when you look at the yield curve. It's not just nominal levels. It's not just the slope. It's not just, you know, the two-year tenor spread. You want to look at all of those together. You want to look at the nominal level, the changes in the nominal level, and the changes in the spreads together. So if it was October you know, and it continued to move in the same direction where long-term rates were rising and they were rising faster than short-term rates and the curve uninverts with rates going up. Contrary to what you hear in the media, higher rates are a good thing. And if that had continued, we'd be celebrating. We'd be saying, okay, 
This is the soft landing, no landing scenario. And then if the curve kept going where it got really steep, it would have said, oh, that's the inflation scenario. That's not good either. So Goldilocks would have been where the curve uninverted like it was doing in October, up to October, middle of October, and then continued to move in that direction. But again, like I said, there were all sorts of warning signs during September and October, not to take it too seriously, that the market wasn't going to take it too far, starting with the two-year treasury itself. During that entire sell-off, the two-year wasn't going anywhere. It kind of oh, just right. butted up against 5%, and then it stuck there. And 5% was below the federal funds range, RRP, and all the short-term rates, which was already a sign, okay, the market isn't fully buying into this bear-steepening case. And by the way, I hate the terminology here, because bear-steepening is actually a bullish sign for the rest of the world, where bull-steepening, like we're in now, is bearish for the rest of the world. Because when safety and liquidity is in high demand, that's nothing really good is going to be happening. Uh, but anyway, the two-year back in uh, when the, the curve looked like it was going to uninvert, and everybody's talking about, oh, there's too much debt, the interest rate markets or interest rates are going to go sky high, and uh, the treasury market's breaking down. The two-year was telling you, no, that wasn't really happening there. There was something else going on. And then, of course, as soon as we got out of the September period, rates just plummeted. And up until recently, the long end and the short end had been going down relative and lockstep here. Actually, the long yeah. end went down before the short end did, which meant the inversion spread and got further, as you just showed in the chart. And now the short end is going down faster and farther than the long end. And it's starting to look like we're heading toward the uninversion in the opposite direction, which, again, it's uninversion, but rates are going down, not up. And down is a bad sign. Yeah, but it's not just going down, Jeff. The two-year, I've been completely out of the loop because I'm at our mastermind group here in Dallas. Uh, you can see the, the thing right behind us there. And you've actually been a speaker at one of these. So I've been kind of out of the loop. But I looked at the, when we got off the call today, I just picked up my phone and I looked at the two-year treasury yield. And correct me if I'm wrong, but like two days ago, it was like right around 4.35. And today, I think, I don't know where it is now, maybe four. 15 or something like that, but it got yep. down to like 4.1. So, you know, for most people, they look at that, oh, it's not that big of a deal. But in the treasury market, that is a massive move. I mean, that is a collapse in the yield when we're talking about, what, 25 basis points in just one or one or two days. And and what is doing, like, was there specific news that did, or see, that's an even oh, that's, bigger. That's concern. even more yeah. compelling is that there wasn't any yeah. specific thing you could say, okay, this is why. It's just the market, the front end of the yield curve wants to go down. And as you said, it's, it's not just it's not just treasury. You see the same move in German bonds, the two-year Shotzi. That has sunk by 11 basis points just today. No specific news there. Uh, forward mm -hmm. interest rate markets, SOFR curves, Uriber curves. They're, the last two days, the market has said, Whatever's going on, whatever we don't know, whatever the market does know, uh, it's 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 more and more uniformly. Hey, let's hedge against something in the short run. So, it, 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 can you go over repo fails really quick too? Because I think that spiked, and then I want to get into maybe playing devil's advocate. Of course, I mean, repo fails are one of those things that you watch uh, just because every once in a while they'll make a big move, and they have to look. Okay, you get a spike in repo fails. What is that? Does that correspond to anything else as you can see? Uh, anything else that might be going on. It's related to how collateral flows throughout the euro dollar system. Sometimes it kind of gets gung up, gummed up and doesn't flow so well. And because collateral is reused and repledged and repurposed so many times, you get something that happens. Maybe it's just something benign. And then uh, 
somebody doesn't deliver a piece of collateral back to where it was supposed to go. And that, that leads to a daisy chain of failures. And sometimes they pile up. And we get interested in the pileups because what's supposed to happen is when you start seeing fails for some completely benign reason, dealers should come in the market and say, okay, I'll find some collateral to fix this fail problem. Of course, I'm going to pocket a spread and probably a pretty juicy one because somebody's going to be desperate. But I'm willing to maybe even take some of my own balance sheet capacity and take on some risk to smooth out the, this, this problem that's building up in the collateral system. So when you see fails pile up, it could be nothing. Or it could be dealers are saying, yeah, I should be in there supplying collateral and borrowing it from somebody else and, and redistributing in the system. But maybe I'm not going to this time because I don't want to take the risk. And so you see collateral start to pile up, collateral fails and repo fails start to pile up. And you wonder if it's because of something that dealers are seeing or, see, or dealers are being affected by. And that's the ones you really want to pay attention to. And when fails get to be so large that they really do spike, it, it doesn't really leave a whole lot of other options because unless there's something really going on, dealers are eventually going to get in there and uh, get the, the, the process smoothed out and operating the way it should be. And at the end of December, almost out of nowhere, because fails have been really, ever since the Treasury market or the Treasury Department has been issuing tons of treasury bills way back in June after the debt ceiling deal. Repo fails have smoothed right out. They've gone down to a pretty pretty low levels, relatively low levels, as you would expect with a tremendous amount of available supply of T-bills, which are the best collateral. So that's right. been relatively expected, and then seemingly out of nowhere, but it wasn't out of nowhere. But as far as repo fails go, the second, the second to last week in December suddenly got a big surge over 350 billion, which by the way, 350 billion is the highest since September and October 2022. That's more than we ever got in March and April when Silicon Valley Bank was failing. So we got 350 billion fails the second last week in December, then it gets up to 400 in the year. And you might think, well, that's just some kind of end of year thing like we saw with SOFR, but Repo fails don't have a quarterly or year-end pattern, so that wasn't it. And then the data we got yesterday for the first week in January was even more than the, the second to last week in December, though less than the, the final week. So we got another big spike in fails for, thir for the third consecutive week, which does correspond to some of the other signals that we watch. What, what do you call them? To the esoteric curse that we pay attention to. Um, so... You think, okay, something is there's a problem going on in the collateral system that's that's piling up fails, and it doesn't seem like dealers are getting involved in the way that they should or they normally would, especially with so many T bills being available. It should be easy to borrow and cheap to borrow. So you wonder if something might be going on there where the collateral system is really starting to experience a significant enough setback that it's causing these uh, outward problems. Yeah, and to be very clear, the the thing that you're talking about is just incre increased risk. I mean, that's what we're talking about here. It's just that's what it, it always comes down it, to. It's all risk. It's, it's risk reward, right? So yeah. if they're not there, uh, if these dealers aren't there taking advantage of the reward, the arbitrage opportunity, then what that tells you is, by definition, the risk has increased to a point where it doesn't make sense for them anymore, and that could be what we're seeing playing out the two-year Treasury yield. Exactly. When you have a situation where collateral is in short supply, that means somebody will be willing to pay up to obtain collateral, which is what dealers sit around waiting for. They wait yeah, for right. an opportunity like that to say, OK, this guy's in trouble. That means he's going to pay. That's why we call them sharks. The sharks circle when they smell blood in the water. You know, they're not going to help you while you're flailing around. But as soon as you get desperate and say, 
I'll pay you extra for it. They're, 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 they're there to help you out. And so we look at these fails and think, okay, maybe there's something going on. The hidden price of collateral, the shadow price of collateral has gone way up. But where are the dealers? Why aren't they clearing this up? And we see the same thing in the interest rate swap market, too. The swap spreads are just, they utterly tanked at the same time, which is another indication that dealers are demanding a higher level of return in order to engage in dealer-type activities to keep money and collateral flowing through the system. Yeah, you know what's coming to my mind, Jeff? This is probably a terrible yeah. analogy, but I'm thinking about a check cashing place, not cashing the payroll check and taking a 50% spread because they're worried that the business that wrote the check is going to go bust. That's what we're talking about here. <laughs> yeah, that's an, that's an extreme example, but yeah, that's ex that's pretty much the case, right? And, and you don't think with financial collateral, especially we're talking about U.S. Treasuries, that there would be some kind of risk like that. But it's not about the Treasury mark or the Treasury yeah. going bust. It's not about the Treasury uh, security that you know suddenly it's worthless. It's about ownership and how, and who owes what to whom. And sometimes right. those don't always line up. And when you take an obligation as a dealer, because they're always on both sides of the trade, they got collateral coming in, cash coming in, collateral going out, cash going out, and they're trying to manage all of these various flows. So there are times when they have to say, this is just getting too chaotic. I'm going to just take a step back here. Even though I could make money by relending collateral or relending cash, I don't think I want to do it right here because even though the rewards would be pretty high, I'm at the end of the day, I might get stuck with an obligation that I'm not planning, I'm not planning on. And I don't know if I can really cover it without um, without um, being taken, taking a pretty substantial hit to do so. So, and you got to remember, there's not just one money dealer here. There's all sorts of global banks. And if these money dealer banks as a collective group are deciding the same things at the same time, that's where you start thinking, okay, what, what, what's really going on here that a lot of different participants in the market are choosing to leave these good spreads, these profitable spreads on the table and just let the dysfunction sort of pile up. Why are we so focused on the uninversion? I mean, I, I, I know the answer to this, but historically speaking, why is it not necessarily about the inversion, but more so the uninversion? Because the curve has to uninvert. It, it does. There's no choice here. It's not going to. And when it uninverts, the direction in which it uninverts tells you everything about what's actually happening. And, and not just in some very long term sense. It's more like, OK, here we are. Feces and fans are getting closer together. That's what the uninversion is. Except in the case that we just talked about last fall, the uninversion where it's the bear steepener and rates are going up and the curve underverts and looks more normal, the feces and fans are getting farther apart. In fact, they're, they're being taken away entirely. That would be the soft landing good. That's why, again, I hate the terminology. It wasn't, it's bearish if you're, if you're holding bonds, but it's bullish for the entire world. Right. Um, so that's why it's important because the direction in which the uninversion goes, because the curve has to uninvert, something has to happen at some point. And the direction in which it goes tells you everything about, okay, this is what's actually going to unfold. Yeah, and what I'm really getting at there is if you go back to 1950, you see that we, the, the curve always predicts a recession, but you never get the recession when the curve is inverted. You always get the recession right. after the curve uninverts. And, and why is that, George? Happens. Rates because rates are already falling. Rates fall before right. you get to the recession. Again, people get that backwards. Rates go down, not because the Fed makes them go down or not because the market cares about the Fed cutting rates, because everybody starts buying safe and liquid instruments. And so, I mean, it makes sense. You think about, okay, 
2024 maybe doesn't look so good. And I know something that nobody else knows. I'm going to start buying 52 week treasury bills like they're going out of style because I think I, I'm, I'm going to get 5%. No, actually, it's four and three quarters percent now. Um, but I'm going to continue buying these longer term treasury bills because this is getting ugly. I want to lock in these returns while I can. Even, I'll even give up a little bit of extra return compared to what I could get, say, at the RRP or something like that, because I want 52 weeks of four and three quarters percent because I think in a couple of months, I'm not going to be able to get four percent. Right. This goes into me playing devil's advocate, which I, I forgot to do there. But I, I think the pushback that you would get from someone like on CNBC would be, well, Jeff, how do you know that the market is out there buying treasuries because they're concerned with the future? Maybe it's the opposite. Maybe they think that rates are going to go down because the Fed has solved the inflation problem and we're going to get back down to 2% inflation, their target, and unemployment is going to stay right around 3.5. The stock market is at all-time highs. So maybe it's just a two-year treasury predicting that we're not going to have an economic problem. It's just predicting that the Fed is going to drop rates. And therefore, they're just taking advantage of the Fed doing a great job and really sticking this landing and the Fed having the ability to take rates back down to, I don't know, maybe 4 3.5% because they've solved the inflation problem. And now they can bring rates back down to where the economy can boom again. What's but that's, that that's the part that doesn't make sense because in the economy that booms, rates go up, not down. That's that's where we're getting that's where we get into the illogic of the mainstream interpretation of interest rates. If we were going into a period where the Fed solved inflation and fixed um, the consumer part, the consumer price problem, get out, get us out of the supply shock, regardless of inflation. Yeah. Um, we wouldn't see longer term interest rates go lower. They would be leading the parade going higher, regardless of what would happen in the short run. And that's, you know, it gets into a big problem as far as interpreting not just, I mean, pretty much everything is that longer term rates, recession, inversion, all of these things, are, it's not, inversions are not necessarily about recession. They get, they get to be linked together, but that's not what inversion is really telling us. All the market is saying is we believe that in the longer run, the probability of rates going down and staying down for a prolonged period of time is relatively high. Regardless of where interest rates are in the current period, the market is saying we think rates are going to go lower from where they are. And typically that happens during a recession because recessions bring out the demand for safety and liquidity. So that makes sense. But inversions are not specifically about recession. And in this context, what, what inversion means, especially with rates as low as they are, all it's really telling us is, again, interest rates are going to go lower from where they are today. And again, you could say, well, that's consistent with the Fed slaying the inflation monster and declaring victory. OK, that's the short run. But what about the long run? The long run would be the, the long end of the yield curve would be rising. Rates would be going up, not down. The fact that we have inversion where longer term rates are below short term rates suggests that this is not the Goldilocks scenario. It doesn't suggest it. It, it basically screamed bloody murder. This is not the Goldilocks scenario. Because in that scenario, short term rates could go down because the Fed says it's going to cut rates. But long term rates would be popping way higher. We would see the curve uninverted in the um, sort of a bastardized Bull or bear steepening case where longer term rates are going way up because longer term rates are growth and inflation expectations. So if inflation expectations are going down, but growth expectations are going to go way up or stay solid, that's rates going higher, not lower. 
So the curve is uniformly across the entire, enti its entire stretch saying rates are going to go down for a prolonged period. And that's consistent with an environment at the very least like the 2010s. The 2010s are not what we're describing here. The 2010s is, you know, a period where there is very little growth. Forget inflation. It's just actually absolutely very little growth. And so how do we transition from where we were just a couple of years ago, 2021 into 2022, to a longer term environment that looks like the 2010s? Yeah. That to me sounds like a recession too. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be two quarters of negative growth that's really sharp. It could also be a prolonged period where we just don't grow at all. So any number of ways that the yield curve inversion could play out that doesn't involve the Fed you know, having its parade and declaring victory, because that's not what really the, the yield curve inversion is saying. Hey guys, I want to remind you to check out Rebel Capitalist Pro. This is the incredible online investment forum that I have with investment experts, Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh. It includes professionals such as Patrick Serezna from Macro Voices. He specializes in options. Jason Hartman, real estate, and Brent Johnson with Macro Economics. If you want to build wealth and thrive in this world of out-of-control central banks and big governments, Rebel Capitalist Pro is the resource you need. So check it out today at georgegammon.com forward slash pro. That's georgegammon.com forward slash pro. We'll see you inside with the fellow Rebel Capitalists that are taking their investing to the next level. Why do you think the yield curve is always right? <laughs> is it always right? Because I don't think it is. I think there are times it makes pretty big mistakes, like anything. Well, I, I'm saying as, as far as the recession, the, the predictive ability for a recession, as far as I know, the only time that's been wrong was what, mid-1960s? And, and we still had economic output go down substantially, although it never went negative in real terms. So to me, I mean, you look at 1950s, it's it's what, uh, 11 times or something like that? And it's been correct 10 of those times. And you could argue it's been correct all 11 times. Uh, so just looking at it through that lens, well, why do you think it has such a good batting? Because at the end of the day, the stakes are enormous. Um, that's what's really driving these markets. And the, the participants in that marketplace have intimate knowledge of what's actually unfolding that we could exactly. never possibly hope to. So you have a lot of really smart people with trillions of dollars on the line who don't have the luxury of getting it wrong. And that's probably overstating it. But that you know, understand what I'm saying. Yeah. And they're all in the marketplace together. And it's always a tug of war, unlike the stock market, where you have, as Mike Green always points out, passive investors. Everybody just buys regardless of conditions. You can't do that in fixed income because there is a maturity. There is a point where you have to say, put up or shut up. This thing has to happen or doesn't have to happen. And so with all of this intimate knowledge of what's actually unfolding, the invisible hand, as Adam Smith called it, we're actually getting a sense of the invisible hand as it's traded in the deepest, most sophisticated, most widespread market available. And so mm -hmm. you have this sort of big data approach to economic conditions where the stakes are enormous. So you get the best kind of discounting information. The stock market can only dream of something like this. 
where it has that predictive power because even though it's not right in the short run often, or it's not often right in the short run, I mean, there's any number of examples, like last uh, last fall, for example, um, over the long run, when you have this amount of brain power and knowledge and um, you know perspective that we can't get anywhere else, it leads to more right than wrong. Yeah, I just call it uh, insider information. It's just you, you got to realize, guys. This is this is that's as simple as it gets. It's legal, but it's just insider information. And well, the example that I, I was just the example. Of, you, well, Jeff, you and I both are good buddies with Kenny McElroy. Yes. And Ken, Kenny McElroy manages about 1.5 billion with a B in apartment units. Okay. Well, guess who's going to have good insider information as far as the direction of rents? Well, that would be Ken McElroy. So if there was an ETF, let's say, where you could where you could short rents and Kenny saw all of his rents declining in his, let's say, 100,000 apartments. Well, he has that insider information. He's going to go out there and buy that ETF that shorts the overall rents in the United States market, you know, assuming that that was an ETF. That's what we're talking about here. So it's 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 just basically the Kenny McElroys of it's the a, it's global a bunch economy. Of, it's right, it's, it goes even a step further, right, George? It's you have financial participants, including the bankers themselves, because the dealers are talking to their clients and they're talking to the clients, clients, and clients of clients and clients of clients. So if you're on a trading desk and some of your clients are saying their clients are getting really concerned about something, you've got that exactly. information that nobody else does. And then you hear it from over here. This this person's clients, their clients are becoming even increasingly risky and risk averse. Then, you know, you're starting to make decisions in your own activities and how you manage your own books um, that uh, that comes out in the marketplace. And then the part the part that really I think should sink in here is that you might have that perspective and everybody else might have the opposite perspective. And so there's always this tug of war between some people who say, okay, I'm getting increasingly bearish. I'm going to start hedging. But the guy over there is going to say, as the prices start to reflect increased hedging, I'm going to take the other side because I don't buy it. I believe in Jay Powell. I believe in the soft landing. I'm going to take the other side and make a ton of money. And so you have this consensus building when you see something like a yield curve inversion because curves do not want to be inverted. They want to be upward sloping. Look at forward OIS, for example. Even during the zero interest rate uh, period that lasted forever, OIS curves were always upward sloping, not because the market was predicting that the Fed was going to raise rates, because curves always want to be upward sloping. So it takes a lot of people seeing the same thing to invert a curve, because that means that there there are so many people that are hedging in the same direction. At the same time, there are fewer and fewer people willing to take the other side of that hedge. They're saying, in order for me to bet with Jay Powell, I'm going to need a huge spread in order to take that kind of risk because I don't really believe in them. That's what we see in derivatives markets. We've seen the treasury market to an extent. So inversions themselves are a consensus opinion among the best marketplace. I use that term loosely. The best marketplace that we have available. It's not perfect. It's not 100 percent, especially in the short run. But it's it's the best tool we have at our at our fingertips that actually gets at what we really want to know, which is information that we can't otherwise get from any other possible source. It has access to the best real-time information. You know, the story that I uh, told, I don't know if you heard this one, but there was this politician, I can't remember what his name was, but he ran the committee on, I forgot what it's called, on COVID basically, uh, in like February of 2020. 
So back when everyone thought that this was like going to be a nothing burger, he was the guy, the politician that was in charge of the committee to basically gather information to give to Trump or something like that. Right. And what they did is they went back and looked at his transaction history of his own portfolio during February. And he was selling Sorry, stocks shorting, and he, shorting everything. And, yeah. No, he's buying treasuries, Jeff. Buying treasuries and shortening anything risky. So selling stocks and buying treasuries. That's a perfect example of what we're talking about. Here. Yeah. And that's, and that's, it's something you pay attention to when it's the long end because you know that's that's already something that's you know out of character and out of line and you notice that but when it starts to go up to the short end bringing this back to what we're starting to talk about here the front end on inversion when the demand for safety becomes yeah i you know the fed i'm not sure what the fed's going to do but i want to own these treasury bills for 52 weeks so i don't care what rate i get them today i'm just i'm i know i'm not going to get the same rate in a couple months when it just becomes such a self reinforcing wave where everyone's just buying safety because they're doing they're seeing something that you aren't it's a powerful signal. And something you mention in your videos all the time is that they might be seeing something outside of the United States. This isn't just a United States thing. So I know we don't have much time left, but you want to go into what's happening in, in Germany, in Europe, in China. I mean, I just did a video the other day, and I don't know if you know this, but the real estate prices in Germany, for heaven's sakes, which, by the way, was struggling with the exact same supply issues that we have here in the United States as, as far as the lack of supply, uh, their home prices went down by over 10% year over year. And in real terms, they went down by 15% just in the last, in the last year. So it, again, it's, it's, it, it, these financial insiders that are inverting the curve could be looking at things in the United States and outside of the United States, that really the global economy. Yeah, and there's, I mean, talk about China. There's so much stuff going on there. You got political risks on top of economic risks. In fact, it's very likely the economic situation is driving the political risk. I mean, the Chinese just reported just ridiculously bad statistics again, more deflation in consumer and really producer prices. The banks over in China are really tightening up. They're not lending what's at all. The credit rate, uh, the, the expansion of bank loan lending, lowest on record. So, you're actually right, George. It's not a U.S. thing. It's not a U.S. Treasury thing. As I said before, you see the same type of bad bull steepening in the German curve that you do in U.S. Treasuries. That's not about a U.S. recession or not a U.S. recession. It's about global risk because it is a globally connected system. Okay, so if I'm just the retail investor, what am I doing now? I, I think I should be on high alert. What I've been telling people on my channel, you know, I can't give them investment advice. I can just tell them what I'm doing is I'm saying, look, I'm just being patient. I'm just understanding that the curve is inverting. I'm understanding that every time it uninverts, stuff hits the fan and it always uninverts as a bull steepener. So I'm waiting for that bull steepener. And then once it does uninvert for let's say a month or two, I know that we're likely, if history's a teacher, getting closer to that hard landing. And when I see what that hard landing produces, then I'm gonna go ahead and take action based on what, if anything, is is cheap? So uh, if you were the retail investor, how would you be using this, uh, the, what the, the today's price action or the yield just collapsing in the two-year? How would your stance change and your view on the market? How would you be, would you be more alert, I guess is my question, or how would you be playing it? Yeah, that's, I mean, we have to make sure that people realize this is a process. It's not flipping a switch. It's like a series of switches that, you you know, so you keep going and you keep finding 
um, you keep getting a, a series of confirmations, right? Mm-hmm. So the first confirmation is the yield curve invert. How far does it invert? Because it does. It goes back and forth, back and forth. And you don't want to take any short run signal too seriously. So if we, again, we're not there yet. The curve has not uninverted as of today. It's getting very right. close in that direction. So when that uninversion happens, because it's likely to, that's just the next step. It doesn't trigger anything. It just says, okay, now we've seen this signal. Do we get the confirmation? Well, the next next step would be the curve uninverts and then reinverts again, because that always happens too in the short run. So oh, what we're really know. looking at is uninversion and then maybe if it if it reinverts and then uninverts for over the short run basis. But when the uninversion toward the bull steepener case sticks, and usually mm-hmm. you can tell when it's going to stick because it makes a pretty big move. So that's okay. the next thing that we're looking for is that the bull steepener case gets, we get to the uninversion and then it makes a big move so that it, like inversion, you can tell it's going to stick around. And when that's when that happens, that's the part where you start need to thinking, need to start thinking seriously about what to do. That's the okay. next real big step because that's when, that's when things really start to happen. When we go past the uninversion into the, okay, now we're really getting the, the bull steepener case and it's becoming aggressive. Because that's when the marketplace is saying, "Okay, now I'm really, really, uh, I'm really afraid of what's happening here." As far as do what we, to do as a retail investor, I mean, well, I don't think off. you want to be in the stock market at that point. Right, just risk off. Do, do we usually get to that uh, sustained uninversion without the Fed dropping rates, or is that usually when the Fed starts dropping rates? Oh, uh, it can be both. That's the thing. There's no template to follow, okay. and you have to be careful about short run. Th- um, the 2007 uninversion. You had March of 2007, the two-year tenure spread uninverted. Then Ben Bernanke said subprime was contained, and then went back into a little bit of inversion again for the next couple of months. And then in June 2007, that's when we got the big aggressive move into bull steepener, and that was just a couple of months before the crisis actually began. So that was the signal there, and the Fed didn't actually cut rates until September 2007, so the market was well ahead of the Federal Reserve there. But in 2001, the aggressive bull steepener move didn't happen until coincident. It's actually a day or two before Alan Greenspan did his first 50 basis point rate cut in January 2001. So those two were pretty much together. So the okay. answer to your question is it could happen with the Fed. It doesn't necessarily need to happen with the Fed. And in reality, we, we don't really care about the Fed anymore because this is about what the marketplace is seeing and where the Fed comes in is afterwards the Fed says, oh, this is why the market's behaving like this. Yeah, we see it too. We're going to start cutting rates that the market has already been moving lower in rates anyway. Mm, Okay. Yeah, I got it. This has been fantastic. Jeff, for all the viewers who want to find out more about where you do, can you tell them about the website, Eurodollar University? Yeah, Eurodollar.University is the website. Offer memberships to help you understand what curves actually mean, how the monetary system works, how it's put together. I got tons of video content there. I do Q and A's and other things. We also have, of course, the YouTube channel where we try to, like George, help people navigate these difficult concepts, especially because like economics gets everything backwards. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to we have to unlearn everybody of economics so they can learn actual small, small e economics about how these things actually work. And that's Eurodollar University's YouTube channel. Yeah. And I'd like to also mention that Jeff is going to be at Rebel Capitals Live. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. that. you got quite the yeah. quite the uh, lineup of speakers there already. Yeah. Well, did you know Mike's going to be there? Mike Green. Yep. 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 Looking forward so to it. 
yeah, you guys can meet face to face and hopefully we can do a panel discussion. So if you want to get your tickets to that, you can do it at rebelcapitalistlive.com. All right, Jeff, thanks for your time, buddy. I'm sure we'll be talking soon. There's uh, 2024 is going to be a interesting year. <laughs> 2024 is going to be lit. <laughs> yeah. All right, buddy. Have a good one. See you, George.